The Business Animal Podcast is proudly sponsored by WP Engine, your resource for managed WordPress hosting, and Keep, the premier CRM software for small business. Head over to thebusinessanimal.com for the best deals on these two amazing products. Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. Hi, Kim. What are we talking about today? We are talking about ad design today. So I have spent a great part of the first part of my entrepreneurial experience as a graphic designer. So I moved away from that, although I still do some graphic design for my clients. It is not my biggest source of income anymore, but it used to be. And the fact that I was a graphic designer for so many years means that I notice bad ads. And I've noticed a lot of bad ads. I would imagine there's a lot of them out there in this day and age. And I've probably been guilty of some of that because... I don't do any graphic design work very, very rarely. So usually that's something that I outsource. So I am excited to hear some of the ideas that you have around our big three today and any tips that you can share with our listeners, but also with me. I'm excited about that today. Absolutely. Well, I know we always like to cover why this is an important topic. And, you know, back when I started as a graphic designer, people didn't have access to any kind of tools to do graphic design. This is how old I am. We originally, the graphic design and layout that I did, we used a computer to print the pages out on really nice paper. And then we would take an X-Acto knife and cut out around it because you couldn't, you didn't have layout software. All you could do is typesetting on the computer. And then we would run it through a waxer and wax it on these big forms that would end up going to the printer to be able to make press plates. So being a graphic designer meant actually using your hands and drawing as well as using typesetting on a computer. So that's that's how long ago I was doing this when I started. Now, software has improved and I've started using software since day one, since it started coming out to help with graphic design. But over the years, graphic design software has moved from being something that you had to be kind of an expert in. I don't necessarily think you needed a college degree in it or like formal training, but it did need to be something you were fairly good at into where we now have products that just anybody can pick up and start to make graphic design and ad design. And with social media, it means that more and more people are out there making their own ads. And what I want to devote this episode to is helping those people that are making their own ads make good decisions about their designs. Because I do see a lot of ads that don't work because of some design principles that I know that people just really aren't aware of. So Let me run down my big three for this episode. The first one is keep it stupid simple. That's the KISS principle. You guys have all heard that. That really, really applies to graphic design. The second one is to stay on brand by using your fonts, colors, and imagery appropriately. And then the third one is to make it easy on yourself. And both Kara and I have some suggestions 
on how you can make good ad design really easy for you. So let's dive in, shall we, Kara? Yeah, let's dive in. I'm feeling like with your description of where you started that we're you were literally like just steps after you were doing graphic design on a cave wall. Yeah. So I'm feeling <laughs> feeling like you really dated yourself there. And I'm going to let folks know she's not as old as she sounded in that. So <laughs> when you described that, I was just like picturing all of the work that goes into it. And so, yeah, I'm excited. Let's start with Keep It Stupid Simple, because obviously it was never stupid simple in the beginning. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And I still have scars from the waxer. I, I have wax burns that are permanent oh my on my fingers. <laughs> But I was a youngster. I really was a youngster when I got started in this. So, okay, so keep it stupid simple. When it comes to any kind of marketing, less is more, actually, one of the biggest suggestions I have is to keep your ads very, very clean. People do not consume marketing, advertising the same way they consume like content generation. Like people will sit and listen to a podcast that's 38 minutes long, but they're not going to uh, listen to a ad that is that long. They may read a book about a topic that they're interested in, but they're not going to read an ad to sell them something that is hugely long. And it doesn't benefit you when you put a lot of visual clutter into especially print advertising or online advertising. So digital advertising, such as on your social media. So I always tell people to keep their ads super clean. Use bullets and short sentences and one very clear call to action that you want people to do. Every time you add a call to action to any kind of marketing, you dilute the ability for people to interact with that call to action. So one call to action will get the most results. If you have two, you're going to half your results. If you have three, you're going to reduce it even more. So we want to be really careful in how we think about our advertising and how we think about laying out our ads or our social media designs. So bullets are really important. Short sentences are really important. That's so tricky because I think we have a tendency to want to include like as much information as possible. And I run into that where I want to make sure all the details are there and then it ends up looking really messy or busy or it's hard, I think, for people to take in quickly when they're scrolling or then when you print it, you can't read what you printed because you had to put so much on there that it was super tiny. So I do think that that is something that a lot of people that are not trained in graphic design have an issue with. I think that's probably pretty common, right? It is. But here's the thing that you have to remember is you don't have to give people all the details in the ads. When you buy, um, let's just pick a product that we all know. When you buy Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola doesn't tell you all the things that are in Coke. It doesn't tell you where you have to go to buy it. It doesn't tell you that you need to open the top of the pop can and put it into a cup or a glass over ice and be consumed. I mean, they don't bother that. They put a picture of the Coke can on there and tell you it's refreshing, right? So people are intelligent. Humans are by and large intelligent beings and they're aware of how to find more information. And you're one call to action can be to go to our website for the details or visit our location or come and talk to one of our sales representatives for details. Actually, ads that include less detail and a simple call to action 
are likely to get you more results. And trust me on this, human beings and websites where there's a lot more information, um, especially the human part, they're going to make more sales for you. So ideally, what you want is you want people to really resonate with your ad and then want to get more information from you either online or in person. So you don't have to put a ton of information in there. Now, I know we have a lot of our gestaltist, my gestaltist colleagues that listen to this podcast. And one of the struggles that they have and that other people in this uh, that may be listening to this have is how the heck do you explain what it is that you do in, in a very concise way on a print ad? And the combat to that is to just keep it as absolutely focused on the result and the problem. So pointing out the pain point and pointing out how you solve the pain point and leave the details to a deeper conversation that has to happen later. Because you're exactly right, Kira. That's, that is what I consider bad ad design is when I see an ad that has so much information that I can't consume it as somebody who'd be interested in that. And you know what I do when I see those ads? I just go on to the next page of whatever I'm looking at or the next post because it's just simply too much work to read it. And I think what happens is the trap that people fall into, I think, is that they're trying to stand out from their competition and they want to make sure that if there's any like differentiator that is there, they want to make sure that that's included. So I think some of these other things that we have coming up are how you set yourself apart you know, and having a good ad that doesn't have all the mistakes that Kim's talking about is that piece that's going to get people to take that next step, ideally, right? Yeah, it's getting them to take the to investigate to get curious about what it is that you have to offer for sale. And I want to tell you, do not write your advertising in a manner that is for your competitor. That's not the time to draw competitive differences. The time to draw competitive differences is when you have that person on the phone, in front of you, on your website, somewhere where you can provide a lot more detailed information and support. Print advertising, and by the way, I keep saying print advertising, but please translate that to mean it's social media advertising as well. Because social media advertising, not posting, but advertising itself on social media works the same way. It's the exact same concept, except you're one step closer than with print because people can click on something in social media and go directly to the source of where you want them to get the additional information. So on a print ad, they're going to need a little bit more clarity about how to do that. So we need to make sure we do provide that information to them. So one of the ways that I like to do this in my own ad design is I like to live by the one practice. So one image, one call to action, one short bulleted explanation, if you have more than one sentence, one design element, one logo, and one contact block. So if you add all of those things together, you've got a lot of elements going into your ad, but they're simple elements that people can really get attracted to. The most effective ads to me, and if you flip through a magazine where the high-priced advertisers are advertising, if you flip through those and you really notice the ads that resonate with you, they generally have one large anchor photo. They typically have one small design element, and by that I mean some type of a graphic 
or a color block or something along those lines that designates like where the type is. They have their branding, which is their logo, and they have your contact or action. I should have called that an action block as well. And then maybe a short piece of type and that's it. They don't have a ton of other stuff. They just don't. It's they're very, very simple. Simple is much more effective than a lot of complex information. And if you want further proof of this, look at how Facebook looks at your ads. So for those of you who are not aware of this, your ads are subject to a similar algorithm as the regular posting on Meta. I guess we should call it by its official name now, Facebook and Instagram, Meta. So when you advertise with Meta, ooh, for a cavewoman, you're so up to date. I am. But that algorithm it takes a look at ads as well as posts, and it determines who gets to see those ads. And if you have too much clutter on the graphic that goes with your ad, Facebook docks you for that. It does not show your ad to as many people. And a lot of times you'll get a warning that says you need to reduce the amount of words and, and just use images. That's because all of us as human beings, we resonate with images faster and easier than we do language. Language. language is secondary to our recognition of visual elements. Every small business owner wants to gain traction in their marketing. After three decades of working with small business owners just like you, I have developed what I call my 4x4 marketing method. In just one 90-minute session, you'll discover the four major focus areas of a successful marketing plan, and together we'll uncover where your business is getting stuck. You'll leave the session with an action plan of next steps that engage your revenue engine. Drop by bemorebusiness.com to request your session today. That's B-E-M-O-R-E business com. See you there. So it sounds like then that in addition to just good design and practicing the live by the one practice that you mentioned that you gave good example of up here, it sounds like you also need to be aware of what the advertising criteria is for the location that you want to place the designed ad right? Or piece of graphic design that you're putting together. So you need to be really aware of what the parameters are, what the expectation is. And also if you're using it on some kind of social media format, what the algorithm likes or what the platform likes to see. Absolutely. It is. And one step further on that. So I'm working with a client right now, hoping to find her some billboards because I think it will be a really good advertising avenue for her. She has, um, it's not pet or animal related, but she has a little motel in uh, Branson, Missouri, and it's called the Sandpiper Landing Inn. So everybody should go there. It is somewhat pet related as they have a great dog as a mascot. At any rate, we're looking at billboards. And when it comes to designing a billboard, you've got to make it so that people going 70 miles an hour down a highway can get the message, right? At a glance. And that's good advertising right there. Billboards, um, believe it or not, are still a really good advertising, especially for a local business, because people drive past them all of the time. And it's a constant reminder that's up against a clear blue sky. So it goes back to that keep it stupid simple principle. And if you can absorb it at 70 miles an hour. Now, here's the thing you don't want to do. I know QR codes have come back into popularity. Please don't put a QR code on your billboard. 
it's really hard for somebody going 70 miles an hour down the highway to get their phone out and scan the QR code. It's the same thing. I see QR codes on trucks. Do people do that? That's hilarious. (laughs) I have seen QR codes on billboards. I've also seen them on semis. That's a very common place for QR codes. And I do realize semis do get parked every once in a while. Semi trucks get parked. But a lot of people see that going down the highway. Let's please, let's remember that a lot of times if your your marketing is moving at 70 miles an hour, possibly this is not a good time to ask people to whip out their phone and scan a QR code. That's awesome. I had no idea that was a thing. I haven't seen that yet. Or maybe I just never noticed it. <laughs> I kid you not. I have pictures. People get it together. I, <laughs> people should get it together. I have pictures before. So QR codes have gone through like two iterations. There was a really popular time for them. I'm going to guess it was about eight to 10 years ago, like QR codes were a thing. And honestly, I thought they had died. I I thought that was a technology that had gone into the vaults of we're never going to use it again. And then somehow it has revived itself. I blame Venmo for that. Somehow it's revived itself into all the different type of marketing. And we even have one on one of our postcards for cowgirls with cameras. But yes, I have all kinds of pictures stored somewhere of bad examples of QR code use. (laughs) So someday I'll have to find my my QR code usage archives. So obviously, Kara, in the advertising design, imagery is really, really important. Now, sometimes you don't have an image that you can pull on and you've got to use words. In that case, your words become kind of your design element as part of the design. But a lot of times we really want a photo that shows people interacting with the product or service in a way that demonstrates a lot more than words can say. As that old cliche goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So ideally, what you want to use is you want to use your one image, if you live by my one practice, to really tell a story. And yeah, so I know you have some comments you might like to make on that. Well, of course, I love talking about images. So one of the things I want to point out right off the top is that we've actually done an episode on choosing the perfect marketing image. So if you aren't out there creating your own images, or maybe you do create images of your own, and you're trying to think about what you want to create for your ad, for your design work that you're doing, check out, go back and listen, season one, episode three, choosing the perfect marketing images, uh, marketing image. There are a lot of great things in that episode. And I just highly recommend a refresher on that if you're getting ready to do some design work. Um, But the, the three things to consider when you're looking for images in particular, first of all, the image, it really needs to tell that focus story. So your image, of course, should have visual appeal. It should be relevant to the times, um, you know, to to the subject matter, to the times, to the business that you do, whatever it is that you're trying to promote. And it needs to keep your service, your product, or your nonprofit, whatever it is that you're trying to design around, it needs to be obvious to the viewer. So it need that needs to be the focal point. It also needs to be consistent, of course, with your brand and your message, which we'll talk a little bit in, in number two in a second. But your image needs to represent your unique businessality, and it needs to match your branding. So it needs to look like it's it comes from your business. It needs to match your colors, your look, and your feel. And the third piece, which I think is a really important piece of choosing the right marketing image is that it needs to evoke emotion 
in action. So people who come in contact, potential clients, consumers who view your marketing images, they need to be moved to take the next best step that is for them. So your marketing image really needs to elicit that call to action in a way that connects with your consumer's emotions. So just keep those three things in mind. Highly recommend if you're at this stage, going back and giving that episode, season one, episode three, choose the perfect marketing image, a re-listen. If you haven't listened to it already, now's a good time. That's a great idea. It was a very good episode. We did a lot of research for that one. So I think we're ready to move on to the number two point in designing better print and social media marketing materials, and that is to stay on brand by using fonts, colors, and imagery. I think the mistake a lot of novice graphic designers make is that they think the ad that they're designing is the only ad that people are going to see. The truth is, is that it traditionally takes at least seven to nine impressions, and I swear it's much higher in our current world. I haven't looked up the latest statistic, but my guess it'd be- It's much higher than that now. Yeah, yeah, it's much higher than that now. Your graphic design and your your marketing materials and your advertising on both digital and print media, they have to be viewed as a consistent story across the board. In other words, people have to see them multiple times in order to resonate with them. And in order for them to start to begin to recognize the advertising as advertising that belongs to your organization and start to separate you out in their mind as being a possible solution for whatever pain point you're talking about, we need to make sure that our ads stay on brand. And the way that we do that visually is we use the imagery that tells the story that we just talked about, but we also use color and fonts. So I recommend for each of you who are doing your own ad design in your own social media, or even if you're working with someone else to do it, that you make physical and digital brand boards. So a physical brand board means going to Michael's or Hobby Lobby or wherever you find foam core and buying yourself a big thing of foam core, come home, print out your logo, various different ad designs that you've used in the past, go ahead and put them on that board, paste them on there in a very physical way, and put that up in your office somewhere, examples of your fonts. You might also put a little cheat sheet for the hexadecimal codes for your colors, for your brand colors. I have one here on my desk and I'll show it to Kara, but it's really cute. I have a little physical. She does too. (laughs) We've just both whipped out our our hexadecimal. (laughs) I'm showing it to you. It's right here. Code cheat sheets. And then my logos, yep. my fonts. Yep, yep. That was courtesy of Meredith Davis Designs, who helped me get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really important to know how to keep yourself on track. I use these hexadecimal codes all the time, and I still forget the stupid numbers on them. So make sure that you do that because it does make your ads recognizable at a glance. So think again of that billboard as you're speeding down the highway and you catch it out of the corner of your eye. If it's Coca-Cola, you recognize that red swirl and the white letters. And I mean, it's very, very noticeable that it's that particular brand. And you should strive to work to where your branding is as consistent as those bigger companies. They have entire departments devoted to it. I realize that, but trust me, you can do this. 
Are you looking to bring awareness to your equine-based product or service or create a unique way for your audience to feel connected to your brand? Quality horse photos tell your story and breathe life into your marketing. They draw your customers in and create an emotional connection. Powerful images communicate your core values and highlight the benefits your product offers, ultimately proving your business is a voice your customers can trust. It's time to use dynamic images that define your small business and separate you from the rest of the herd. Fast Horse Photography's professional photo library features thousands of searchable images available for businesses just like yours. And guess what? 100% of those images are horse-related. Now, finding the right horse images for your website, social media, and marketing needs is easier than ever. Help your audience see that your brand offers the answers they are looking for. Search for the perfect images for your equine business right now. Spur your customers into action with FastHorsePhotography.com. That's FastHorsePhotography.com. The other place that you should keep a brand board is a digital brand board. And that should be on someplace like Dropbox or Google Drive, where you have access to it even when you're not at your desk. A lot of small business marketing, especially for the people listening to this podcast, you do your marketing on the go. It may be at a lunchtime in between farrier appointments. It may be in the evening as you're watching your kids play their soccer game. You may be advertising your grooming business. So if If you have a digital brand board, then you can stay on track better. Other things that you should put on your brand board are common and standard shapes that you use. So remember in our one practice, I talked about using a design element. Some businesses like waves in their advertising. Some like circles. Circles are very symbolic in representing completeness and curvy lines are smooth and flowy. So those all translate messages about your business's businessality to your viewer as they're taking a look at your ad. Another thing that you want to add, especially to your digital brand board in those folders is commonly used imagery. So images that you use on a regular basis. So for a lot of us, that's the headshots that we've had taken with us and with our animals. It's the pictures of the clients that we use regularly for testimonials. It's kind of the anchor images for our advertising campaigns. And here's another thing that'll help you a little bit is that you can keep using the same images over and over again in a lot of different advertising media as well as consistently over time in ads. Here's the reason why is that you look at these all day long. You live in your business. Your consumers don't. So using a repetitive photo, it doesn't show that you're a bad advertiser. What it shows is that you're cognitive cognitive of the fact that the people that are looking at the ad, they don't see it every day. They see it here and there, and it helps bring back the memory of seeing it previously. So that helps you push towards them making a recognition and a connection to your business. The other thing you want to use is having that digital brand board is you would do want to have your fonts and variations that you use. And I recommend that you have no more than two fonts plus a logo. So fonts generally come in two flavors. There's the serif font and then there's the sans serif font. So serif fonts are the fonts like Times New Roman that have the cute little dangly things off of the letters. Like they'll have little tick marks or stuff like that. A sans serif font will be very plain. An example of a sans serif font is Helvetica. Now there've been a lot of studies that have gone on as 
as to which one of those is more readable. It used to be traditional graphic design knowledge that if you were going to do something in print, you wanted to use a serif font. And if you were going to do something online, you would use a sans serif font. The realization uh, now is that screens and monitors have become so good in resolution that that no longer matters. <laughs> and we have also got used to reading sans serif fonts. So having them in print is just fine as well. So pick one of one kind and one of the other is my recommendation. So either your headings are going to be in a serif font and your body is going to be in sans serif or vice versa. Mixing those two types makes a very pleasing visual design. So pick no more than two fonts that you're going to use. One for bold heading, get it notice type, and then one for places where you're going to use reading type. And then that two fonts does not include the font that's in your logo. So if you have what's called a display font, that's another third kind of font that is in your logo. Those are usually fancy, have a lot of fancy characteristics to them or, or design elements to them. That doesn't count against your font count. When you get more than two fonts and the logo font, it starts to feel a lot to me like a serial killer note. <laughs> <laughs> like you've just got way too much going on in there. So please don't do that. So are we ready to move on to number three? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So make it easy on yourself. This is so important because graphic design is not always the easiest thing for people. And a lot of people lose their creativity. I'm working with a client right now who's redesigning a landing page for her website. And when we talked on Monday, she was like, I just have lost my creativity around this. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can make things easier on yourself and jumpstart or kickstart your ideas. I love a product called Canva. And I, I honestly say Canva is probably the reason graphic design is now in the hands of the people versus being something that was really the arena of people who spent a lot of time learning different software. Canva has a lot of designs that are already included in it. And it's very easy to go hunting through the designs and look at things that you like about different layouts and get really good ideas. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with hunting through Canva for ideas when you've kind of run out of your creative juices on whatever it happens to be. I look at good print advertising to find inspiration for good digital advertising and layout and design. So Canva is a definitely a good product. It also makes your life easier as that you can store the designs, you can put in that branding board that we talked about. You can create like a digital brand board that you can store your logos which makes it virtual, so you can find it when you need it. Yep, exactly. You can store your photos in there. You can upload photos to it if you have one of their paid accounts. I just find Canva really, really nice. And I've actually moved away from using Photoshop and InDesign for rather simple graphic design products with my clients and started helping them understand how to use Canva. I think it empowers them to be able to do it on their own. And it moves with my mission to move away from being the doer and into the teacher of an empowerer of the clients doing it themselves. Google Drive and Dropbox also make it easy if you don't want to use Canva or you want to have something that's in conjunction with that. Google Drive and Dropbox give you accessibility 
to your images at all points in time. So anywhere where you have an internet connection, you can grab into, or even when you don't, both Dropbox and Google Drive will download to like your laptop and stuff. So they'll sync. You have accessibility to all of the things that you need to create good ads, even when you're not sitting in your office. And finally, in this area of discussion, you know, what if this all sounds great to you, but you just really don't find it at all interesting or want to do it. So Kara, you outsource all of this headache to other individuals. Talk to us about what the perks are for that. Not all of it. Not all of it. Not all of it. I don't outsource all of it. But I will say that I recognize that I'm better at some things than other things. <laughs> so if it's a big project or a really important project, I am certainly take advantage of the outsourcing options that are out there. There are a lot of great places that you can look for folks that do good work. I think the biggest thing is, is just making sure that when you outsource, when you do DIY it, if you're using Canva or any other programs that you're using, if you're using Photoshop, that you have some consistency. And making sure that when you do all the work around creating your brand fonts, colors, and imagery, that you're sharing that with anyone that you're using so that you're not having it, having to recreate it, having things look different. You really just need to make sure that there's consistency there. Don't be afraid to outsource it, though. There are people out there that can do it better and quicker than you can and save you the time and money. I love, I love a good outsource opportunity. And this is one of those. So if you're, you know, if you're thinking about things in your business that you could outsource, this is, this is a good one. This is a really good one. Um, so just keep that in mind. Kim, I think that covers it. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? Nope. I think we've given a really good introduction to good graphic design and a lot of things for people to think about and some really simple actions to take. So just to review our big three, keep it stupid simple. Remember that KISS principle, live by your one practice of one image, one call to action, one short bulleted explanation, one design element, one logo, and one piece of contact information where people can get in touch with you if that's not included in the call to action. And then stay on brand by using fonts, color, and imagery to make things visually recognizable as you, and then make it easy on yourself. I love anything that makes our lives easier. Okay, guys, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Animal Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed hanging out with us and that you can put some of this to use right away. If you haven't already followed us online, you can find us at The Business Animal on Instagram and Facebook. We're also at thebusinessanimal.com. And we would love to hear from you guys. So if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a rating and give us a follow so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.